Kyle Bonagura, you cover college football for us at ESPN, and you're going to one of the biggest games of this weekend. Number eight, Oregon, at number seven, Washington. Both teams undefeated. This is a huge game and a huge rivalry. Game day will be there, but these teams don't get the national spotlight as often as some of the other programs. So for those of us not as familiar with the Pacific Northwest, can you fill us in about how intense of a rivalry this is? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one because, you know, for decades, it really wasn't as big of a rivalry as, uh, as some of the others in, in the conference. You had the in-state ones for both schools, the Apple Cup and the game formerly known as the Civil War in Oregon. But the last two decades, really, Washington and Oregon has really turned up the heat on uh, what has become one of the, I hate, I kind of uh, don't like to use the word hate with rivalries in college football. It seems silly, but... There's certainly those sort of vibes with with these two teams, and especially now that both of them are uh, are relevant at the highest level, it, it doesn't get much bigger than this on the West Coast. Yeah, so in the Midwest, of course, we know there's Michigan, Ohio State, um, who do not like each other. We're not going to, you know, say they hate each other. They do not like each other. Uh, I'm a Mississippi boy, so it's Alabama and Auburn and Georgia all in the SEC. What makes this particular rivalry so unique? Both Washington and Oregon, they really like to kind of stake the claim as being the flagship university for both those states. And they want to seek dominance in the Pacific Northwest more broadly. They don't want to settle for just being the best team in the state. Because of the way the conference is structured, there is that kind of pocket up up in the Northwest that they can always chase, even when some of the California schools might have been better. Mm. But now it's going to get even more interesting now because these teams are are operating kind of as a package deal, even for the Big Ten. So as big a game as this has been for the last two decades, it's about to become the primary rivalry for both schools. But right now, considering what's potentially in front of both teams this season, it's there's just so many really interesting storylines with quarterbacks and Heisman Trophy candidates and high-scoring offenses. It's hard to think of a game that has more to play for in the moment. Rivalries exist in every sport, but in college football, the word rivalry might not be strong enough to describe the way certain teams and fan bases feel about each other. From Michigan-Ohio State to Alabama-Auburn, to Army, Navy, and on and on and on. Washington and Oregon's is a college football rivalry you might be less invested in. So today, Kyle Bonagura explains why you should be paying attention to these two Pac-12 powerhouses, their Heisman Trophy candidate quarterbacks, and what we should expect to see when Saturday's game kicks off. I'm David Dennis Jr. It's Wednesday, October 11th. This is ESPN Daily. Shopping for Mother's Day is usually a challenge because you people wait until the last minute. But Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Mother's Day. Whether you're shopping for your sister's first one or for your fashionista mom who likes to make a statement, Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas that you can easily pick out something special to celebrate with them both. You can shop by price anywhere from $25 and under to, say, $100 and below. You can also sort by category like fragrance, handbags, and more, or gift lists like for the mom who has everything or even pre-wrapped gifts for grandma. Find top brands like Studio Pro Model Beats Headphones, 
Polaroid cameras, and Samsung smart TVs. So, what are you waiting for? Mother's Day is May 12th, and it'll be here before you know it. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for mom easy this year. Head to Macy's.com slash gift finder today. That's Macy's.com slash gift finder. All right, so Kyle, let's get right to this matchup. Oregon and Washington. On the Huskies, you've got the quarterback, Michael Penix Jr. Snap to Penix. Penix drops back to pass. Penix takes a shot, goes for the whole thing to a doomsday. Did he hold on? Two arms up. Touchdown, Washington. What can you tell us about his style of play and how he fits into this Washington offense? So Penix is, he's an interesting player. Played four years at, at Indiana where he would show flashes of brilliance. And then would have some injury setbacks in, in four years at Indiana each each year. His, his season ended in injury. He was able to reunite with, with Kalen DeBoer, who was Indiana's offensive coordinator in 2019. And since taking over as the starter prior to last season, Penix has been one of the most efficient quarterbacks in, in the country. He's absolutely a pocket guy. He can extend plays uh, if need be, but he is definitely at home kind of playing within the confines of the offense. Penix bobbles the snap, regains into the end. He's uh, over nearly 75% completion percentage. He's leading the nation in passing this year by a wide margin. He's averaging right around 400 yards per game. Last year, he led the nation in passing at around 350 yards passing a game. He had the chance to, to go to the NFL and decided to, to come back to Washington for one one final year and, and has one of the best uh, receiving cores in, in the country. It's a really diverse group of skill sets that, that are a lot of fun to watch. And you look at the stats, uh, this is a Washington team that can, can move the ball as, as quickly as anyone in the country. Give us some of the background. Before he arrived at Washington, he was at Indiana for four years, but each of those years saw him endure season-ending injuries. What else should we know about him and how he got to this place? Well, we can take it all the way back. He's a kid who grew up in Tampa, Florida. So, for, you know, the fact that he's at Washington in the first place is pretty remarkable. Right. <laughs> you can't, you literally can't get any further away from home um, to play college football. When he was little, he started out as a running back. His dad played college football at Tennessee Tech. His uncle played at South Florida. So as a kid, he, he really wanted to be a running back. That changed when he was 10, youth football. All of a sudden, they don't have a quarterback on their team. And as they're trying to figure out, uh, okay, who should play quarterback, you kind of just give it to the best athlete. And mm. he certainly was that. But he could also throw a little bit. And so when he was 10, he started playing quarterback and really hasn't looked back. He's a kid who earned a scholarship offer as a freshman in high school playing quarterback, which is really rare. Like it's rare now. It's even more rare in, you know, back in, you know, 2014, I believe, when he got that first offer from FAU. Mm. And so throughout his high school career in, in South Florida, he was among the better players in the state. And before his junior year, committed to Tennessee, thought he was going to the SEC and his uh, recruitment was was done and dusted. But as these things tend to happen in college football, there's a coaching change during his senior year of high school in the fall, um, right before signing day. Tennessee, under new coach Jeremy Pruitt, uh, takes a look at the tape and decides, eh, 
uh, Michael Penix isn't for us. Uh, Tennessee actually dropped its scholarship offer to Michael Penix, now the nation's leading passer. Wow. Um, they offered and secured a commitment from JT Shrout, who went to Tennessee, was at Colorado last year, now uh, is finishing his career at Arkansas State. And so with, with not much time to really figure out what he was going to do, he ends up at Indiana and he showed some moments there we could be a really good player, but the the injury bug just hit him over and over again. And after four years of of kind of two steps forward, one step back, uh, decided it was time to find a new place to play. And there was uh, there was Coach DeBoer in Seattle waiting for the opportunity to to lead a team that was uh, really talented, but was looking for uh, a new quarterback and a new direction with the way it operated. So yeah, so what you're saying is that we should start this uh, podcast a disclaimer for Tennessee fans to cover their ears or or, or a trigger warning or something. That's brutal. Yeah, Hendon, Hendon Hooker worked out all right for those guys for a little bit, so it wasn't all bad for them. But yeah, the idea that you have a guy who's uh, in the Heisman Trophy discussion and, and at a certain point he was determined that he wasn't good enough for a scholarship offer is pretty entertaining to look at with the benefit of hindsight. Yeah, so when you think about you know the Heisman race, I think a lot of people nationwide would probably say Caleb Williams was, was the front runner here. Is the gap close here? Or, I mean, is there some sort of California, sort of this bias, big city bias? Are we sleeping on Michael Penix? Like, what, what are his actual chances here? Yeah, I think people are sleeping on Michael Penix to a certain degree. But I think, you know, at ESPN.com, we, we run a poll every week. I'm a Heisman voter myself. Um, mm. And I've got Penix at the top of my list right now. Oh, okay. I think uh. that, you know, Caleb Williams, I think, is right now the unquestioned best player in college football. Mm. But I think when we're talking about a Heisman Trophy, you know, history is a pretty good indicator of this, right? That if if you come back as the reigning Heisman Trophy winner, you really have to do something extremely special to win the award for a second straight year. And so mm-hmm. who are you drafting if you have one of the one of those guys uh, right now in college football? Yeah, maybe you still go with Caleb Williams. But Penix, just look from a production standpoint, he's been just as good as Caleb Williams. Washington's offense has been just as good as USC's has. There's um, when it's close, right? When the stats are comparable, I think the fact that Penix is doing it at Washington in a place where, you know, you just haven't seen the type of um, success that you have at a place like USC. I think th- a guy like that deserves the benefit of the doubt. And for Oregon, their quarterback, Bo Nix, is also in the Heisman conversation. He's ranked third in the ESPN rankings. What have you seen from Bo Nix? You know, Bo's very similar to Penix, right? He starts starts at Auburn and shows some flashes, has some good moments for the Tigers, but in the end d- decided it was uh, it was time for a scenery change and maybe he would benefit from that. And, you know, like Penix last year, Bo was one of the best quarterbacks in college football. He stepped right in, uh, took on a leadership role and was really efficient, really tough to bring down, was effective as a runner, as a passer, really did everything that they needed to kind of climb back into, into the mix and this year he's been he's been right there. I mean, I, I've got Knicks at number three on my ballot this this week. Mm-hmm. Fifteen touchdowns, one interception, really efficient with the ball. So yeah, I mean, I, I don't have enough good things to say about Bo Nix. I think his his transfer really um, has benefited him him and Oregon. And it you know if you look at the conference as a whole, I mean, week in week out, you don't see quarterback play anywhere in college football like you're seeing in the Pac-12 this season. We knew that was going to be the case coming in. And not only have these guys who were successful last year built on that success, but you've seen other guys around the conferences have also entered that discussion. 
So let's turn a little bit to the to the head coaches. Uh, leading Oregon, of course, Dan Lanning, getting some buzz thanks to his team's performance uh, in their win over Deion Sanders' Colorado squad. And, you know, his uh, Al Pacino, like uh, any giving Sunday uh, speech before the game. The Cinderella story is over, man. Right? They're fighting for clicks. We're fighting for wins. There's a difference. This game ain't going to be played in Hollywood. It's going to be played on the grass. And to the media. I mean, at the end of the day, YouTube videos aren't going to win football games, right? you got to play the game between between the white lines. And uh, that's, that's the plan for us this week. There's been some chatter suggesting that even he could be a successor to Nick Saban at Alabama. What's behind his success at head coach? And is Oregon simply a stepping stone for him to that next step? Yeah, interesting. Oregon's an interesting spot, right? Because they have had the track record of coaches leaving, and that's impossible to ignore. You had Willie Taggart leave after a year. You had Mario Cristobal leave after a few years to, to go to Miami. Um, with Lanning, I think there was, and, and I know this because we reported on it at the time, there was some apprehension within the Oregon community that hiring someone from you know outside the Oregon family, so to speak, could potentially open up the possibility that, that another coach could leave. Well, look, I think that's the case really anywhere in college football, right? You have a coach who um, is at a big program and, and they could always leave. I mean, Jimbo Fisher was at Florida State. Now he's at Texas A&M. Lincoln Riley was at Oklahoma and, and now is at USC. There are very few places that aren't, that are kind of immune to that, right? So yeah, I think there's always the potential that, that Lanning could leave. And certainly if he continues to win at the level he's winning now, there's going to be people who are interested in other places in the country. But at the same time, with Oregon moving to the Big Ten, this is a big-time job in college football. I mean, Oregon has been a big-time job for a long time. So as easy it is to uh, make the case that Lanning could move if the situation presented itself, you could also make the case that Oregon is a career job for the person who appreciates it. But that's a good problem to have, right? If your coach is, is a candidate for the biggest jobs in the sport, it means your program's having a lot of success. So as for Washington, head coach Kalen DeBoer is off to one of the best starts in Husky history. After taking over the team in 2021, he's won 16 times, which includes 12 consecutive games. What can you tell us about DeBoer and the level of excellence that he's brought to Washington? DeBoer, for me, is one of the most interesting coaching paths in, in all of college football. Here's a guy who played college football at the University of Sioux Falls in South Dakota, started in, at the high school ranks, gets back to Sioux Falls where they're operating in a, in a trailer with the VHS tape, running it back, trying to teach himself everything he can about offense without the benefits of much technology. And then really has done the, he's done the climb. He's a guy who was an offensive coordinator at the FCLS level, then was a group of five coordinator, gets the coordinator job at Fresno State under Jeff Tedford, which is a really big step for him. It got him a little bit more national exposure, and eventually that's what led him to get in the job at Indiana. And in one year at Indiana as the offensive coordinator, partially of which Penix was the starting quarterback, Indiana finished third in the Big Ten uh, in offense. Indiana, the Indiana Hoosiers football team, no. <laughs> third in the Big Ten in offense. Uh -huh. Like, the just <laughs> it's I'm laughing because it's just an outlandish possibility for anyone who's ever paid any attention to college football right, right. so Kalen's had this really interesting climb and then goes to, to Fresno State when Jeff Tedford steps down to become the head coach and again 
immediate success there. And and we saw what he did in his first year at Washington, winning 11 games, 16 and two in his first 18 has, has the Huskies very much in the college football playoff discussion. You know, at ESPN.com, we do our power rankings every week. Washington is my number two team in the country right now. I've got them projected to play for the national title against Georgia. Mm. That's how highly I think about uh, this team right now. And, and it's really a testament to the job that DeBoer's done coming in and really inserting his culture and, um, installing an offense that has been as good as anyone in the country. Okay, Kyle, so after the break, how this game fits into the waning days of the Pac-12. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11th ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code DAILY. That's code DAILY. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home some huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Kyle, this is the last time Oregon and Washington will play each other in the Pac-12. Both of these teams are heading for the Big Ten in 2024. What are we losing in terms of this rivalry now being inside a conference with even bigger rivalries and even more competitive teams? So for Washington and Oregon, I don't think those schools in particular are really losing anything um, for this game. I I think what it does, it might be a little bit of the opposite in that this game for those two schools becomes more important. For Oregon and Washington, this will be the only geographic rivalry that they'll play in the Big Ten. In the Pac-12, they both had their in-state games like we talked about earlier. They had the other Northwest games to kind of look forward to. Now they're kind of on an island in the Big Ten with each other. They made the move together. They're essentially attached at the hip when it comes to joining the Big Ten. There's, of course, the, the history with the two LA schools as well. But I think what you'll see here is this game between Washington and Oregon will become the primary rivalry. We know that they're going to play each other every year, home and away, just as they always have. At the same time, those in-state rivalries for those teams are, are probably going to go away. I mean, they're certainly not going to be played every year like they have for over 100 years. I think those games will happen on occasion where it makes sense from a scheduling standpoint, but you won't be able to count on it being the weekend before Thanksgiving every year like has been tradition for so long. 
this is a game here on the West Coast that I think fans in the conference really appreciate it. You know, it's always an intense game. There's often real ramifications on the Pac-12 standings, and that could certainly be the case in the Big Ten as well, assuming they're both successful. But I don't think other fan bases are going to really care about this game um, in the same way that the Pac-12 cares about it Um as a whole, right? Unless there's real stakes in how Washington, Oregon will affect the the Big Ten conference standings, it just probably won't be something that resonates on an every year um, basis. So uh, we won't ask you to pick who wins this game, but I do want to ask you, does the winner of this game have an inside track at the college football playoff? I know you have Washington projected at number two, but how does this game impact th- those projections you have? Right, so I think right now the Pac-12's got a strong case to be the best conference in college football. And there'll certainly be debate on that. But look, there's ha- half of the conference is is ranked in the top 18. So when you have got half of your conference at, at that level, it indicates um it indicates a lot of strength, right? And so if you have if you win a conference that has six teams ranked in the top 18, that that conference champion deserves to be in a four-team playoff field. No one can convince me otherwise. So even though Right now, in the AP poll, Washington's seven, Oregon's eight, USC, I think, is nine, right? If you play it all the way out, there's no scenario in which the Pac-12 champion, especially if they finish with one or no losses, um, would would be left out. I I think everything else sorts itself um, by the end of the year. And and right now, with these two teams playing at the level they, they have been, the winner kind of takes that de facto top spot. USC could certainly be there as well. They're they're undefeated too, so you can't throw you know let them exit the mix yet. Their def- their defense has a is is asking a lot of questions about how what their chances are of maintaining that that record um, deep into the year. But right now, with with two undefeated teams in the top ten playing each other on this stage, yeah, the winner definitely deserves to be the. The, the conference title favorite and as a result deserves to be charting towards the, the college football playoff. Okay, so before we go, I, I have to ask you about Puddles, right? Which for those who don't know, the Oregon Ducks mascot he has a very special kind of weird tradition where he does push-ups for every point the team scores. Oh, he's going the in the More push-ups. <laughs> What are the chances the duck can actually lift their arms tomorrow? <laughs> Slim to none because he can't even give a hug. Come on, Puddles. Come on, get up. Man, Quick, get up. where's a Theragun, please? Is this something that Harry the Husky, uh, who's the Washington mascot, is he going to be doing this? We're going to have a push-up <laughs> contest? Like, how, how, are we, how are we doing this? Well, well, first of all, I have to I have to jump in on behalf of Oregon fans and with a quick correction. As 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 much as everyone likes to call the duck puddles, that's actually not his official name. And the Oregon fans can be very oh, okay. defensive about referring to him as puddles. He's just the duck. That's his name, and the push-up tradition okay. is right. is is fun, right? I, d- I don't think Harry's going to jump into the mix, but if there's a game where we can maybe anticipate the uh, maybe a, a little bit of a wrestling match on the sideline, uh, I think I'd I think I'd tab uh, Harry the Husky as the favorite in that battle. So, what, what, I mean, what is the mechanics here of the of of all these push-ups? I mean, Oregon puts a lot of points on the board, and it's a modern era. Program record for points in a game. Five hundred forty-six push-ups now for the Duck. How are there are there cooling apparatus in the in the mascot? Like, is there like a bodybuilder under there? Who's this doing all these push-ups throughout the course of of a three and a half hour game? 
Yeah, that's going to call for some real investigative journalism on my part to get to the bottom of that. But what we do have here is the is the nation's two highest scoring teams, and not only are the two you know two of the nation's highest scoring teams, these are teams that score a bunch in the first half. They they get after it right away. Both of these teams are average. Their average margin of the, the scoring margin at halftime is both over twenty points a game in the first half alone this year. So something's got to give. They're both averaging thirty point two points per game in the first half alone. So uh, yeah, it it could be a, a long day for the biceps of of both of both of these mascots. Yeah, I generally um, eat a slice of pizza for every time my favorite team <laughs> scores. That's pretty much the same thing. Uh, thanks a lot, Kyle. Thanks for uh, giving us a preview for this incredible game, the game of the weekend, maybe the the game of the the season so far. Um, thanks so much for uh, filling us in. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I'm David Dennis Jr. This has been ESPN Daily. I'll talk to you tomorrow.